Oh, well, good morning again. My name is Sean. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you're one of our guests here today, if I didn't get to welcome you earlier, welcome. We're glad you're here. If you'd like to know a little bit about us and have us know a little bit about you, you can turn to the back cover of our order of worship and scan this QR code right there. And that'll put you in touch with a staff person that actually comes straight to me. So if you'd like to get my attention, that's how you would do it. And we could get together if you'd like to have coffee or talk about the church or anything like that. Um, if you're also one of our guests here today, we'd like to let you know that you can use that Bible there, that dark book on the chair in front of you. And today's passage is found on page 924 in that Bible there. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please do take that one with you as our gift. We'd love for you to have that. So we're back in Colossians. Uh, it's been a minute. We took the whole month of September off to go over our vision and our values as a congregation. So just a quick reminder about the book of Colossians. Paul is in prison, and he's writing to the church that he's ne probably never visited or never met. And he's writing to them because there are false teachers coming in and attacking their pastor, attacking the gospel, and trying to insidiously get them to take their eyes off Jesus Christ alone. And so Paul writes to confront this after hearing a report about this from their pastor when he visited him in prison. Uh, going back over kind of quick review of chapter 1, Paul reassures them, for, first off, that they have actually heard the true gospel, that their pastor has given them the true gospel. He then prays that they would live out of the knowledge of that gospel, that that gospel would give them them power in the hardships that they have in life so that they could joyfully live as God's family because God has brought them together in Christ. Then in the second half of the chapter, he reminded them that Jesus Christ is God himself, that Jesus is the ruler and creator of all things, worthy of their worship, and that salvation is in him alone. And then he ended the chapter rejoicing in the hope that they have in Jesus and confessing to them that he struggles that they might have maturity. So now that gets us to today's passage. And I want to get you in the right headspace before we go to the text. I want you to think of the Disney movie Aladdin. Now, if you've only seen the live action version recently, sorry. Okay, I want you to think of like the 90s animated version, like the good one, okay? So, okay, spoiler alert. So they find the lamp, they're in this cave, and the cave collapses on them, and they're trapped in the cave with all this treasure. And it's worthless because they got to get out of the cave. And so they trick the genie into getting them out of the cave. Or another movie, 1985, King Solomon's Mines, starring the character Alan Quartermain. Think Indiana Jones, but not nearly as cool. Okay, it's a 100-year-old book by H. Ryder Haggard of the same name, and they, there's him, and then there's the bad guys, and the bad guys find King Solomon's mines first. Vast jewel mines. Unbelievable. So what they do, they turn on each other. The bigger bad guy wins, puts the gun to the other guy's head, and says, start eating the stones. So the guy starts swallowing gigantic gemstones. And he goes, I will get them out of you later. Probably not gently. Not a very valuable treasure in that moment, is it? In both those examples, this vast, glorious treasure that should be so valuable is actually a burden. And that's where Paul is today in the book of Colossians. The gospel treasure, because of the influence of these false teachers, has become a burden. False teachers have robbed the gospel of its power. 
and stolen their joy. So with that in mind, let's turn now together to God's Word. It's on page 10 in your order of worship. We'll be looking at Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. This is God's Word. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen, my fa- seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray with me. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us exactly as you want to be known. And so, Father, we ask that as we come before your text today, you would once again open it up to us that we may see by your Spirit the beauty of Jesus in it. We ask this in his name. Amen. So Paul here agonizes again. He struggles again that they would be encouraged together into Christ as their treasure for for new life and for growth. And then he warns them away from deceivers who want to lay burdens on them and steal their assurance. And that gets us to our theme for today. The kind of what we're going to orbit around today is this idea right here, that God's treasure is a burden when we lug it around instead of enjoying it. God's treasure is a burden when we lug it around instead of enjoying it. So the first thing I want to see as we jump into here is an agonizing mystery. Uh, uh, yeah, an agonizing mystery. So right before this, at the end of chapter 1, Paul says he struggles that they might be mature. It's actually the word for agonizing. And he says the same thing here in verse 1. He goes, I want you to know how great of a struggle. It's literally the word agony. I want you to know how much I really want this. You see, all pastors have this dream for their church. They have this dream of like walking in maturity in Christ, this dream of being fulfilled in Christ, and they pour out their heart towards this dream. And so Paul says, yes, we agonize for this. We agonize that you would have maturity in Christ. And he doesn't leave it to our creativity to know what that means. He tells us, look with me at verse 2, what does it look like to be mature in Christ? That our hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Okay, there is a lot there. Paul is a big fan of stacking on prepositional phrases, right? So we could spend hours on this. We're not, but there's a lot there. Okay, so first of all, the main thought, the main thing you need to understand about verse 2 is this. Hearts be encouraged. That's what he wants. That's the main thought that you, at your most authentic self, the deepest part of who you really are. Paul says, I agonize, pastors agonize, that you be encouraged. It sounds great, doesn't it? But it's actually deeply challenging. Paul says he agonizes over their maturity at the end of chapter 1 
confirms it here in verse 1, and then his first action step in this thing that's so important that he agonizes her, his first action step is encouragement? My first thought would be to give you a book. Probably gentle and lowly. I know I've become like a pusher for that book lately. Some of your, your thoughts would be like, have a Bible study, right? But whether it's that or mine, the, the, our, our impetus is what? Learn something, right? I want you to be mature, so you've got to learn some more stuff. Get some knowledge in there. And Paul says, no. Maturity is unattainable without encouragement first. The encouragement of being together in a community. The very first day that your hearts may be encouraged and then knit together. So how do we get that? Well, he tells us being together in love. Maturing comes from seeing our union with each other. See, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone as he's offered in the gospel, we're put in union with him. What's true of him becomes true with us. It's amazing. Praise God for that. But what we also forget is that we are therefore in union with everybody else who's in union with Christ. So we're actually closer to each other than we are to our own families who don't know Christ. That's why we do all that family stuff. Like Donnie comes up and says our announcements are looking at the family calendar. And after the confession of sin, during the assurance, we say, get a hug from your family. We're not just trying to be like all cheesy. We're actually a family in Jesus. We want you to be knit together in love, like the manual says right here. Because we're a family together. We really understand that, that we are the vehicle of encouragement for each other. That's what Paul is getting at here. One of the things we try to do in staff meetings, we, we don't do it as often as I would like, which is my fault, I run them, is that we, we have time to we formally encourage each other. Like we'll just every once in a while just say, okay, affirmations, who did something cool? And let's, let's brag on them. Who, did, who, who noticed someone else doing something really great? Let's brag on them. We do it informally all the time by text, but it's, it's kind of the culture of our staff to always be looking for ways to encourage each other. And our dream is that that gets spread to the entire congregation, that we would be always encouraging each other. If you remember a couple weeks ago when I talked about gospel culture, I said one of the pillars of gospel culture is the idea of honor or encouragement, that when I see the good of God in you, one of the ways I worship God for that is I acknowledge that good in you. I encourage you. Say, hey, I see the characteristics of God in you like this. One of the things I love about you is this. I mean, how cool would it be as if part of our community groups, like after we prayed together, after we maybe had some fellowship time, is one of the things we went around the room and said, okay, you know what? Let's fill in the blank. One of the things we love about you is, and everybody just pours into somebody, right? Wouldn't that be great to gang up on someone for encouragement? Right? That's what Paul's talking about here, that we encourage each other together. That's what living in the gospel looks like. And why is it important that we love each other towards encouragement? He tells us, next phrase, that we might get the riches of assurance of understanding. See, he eventually gets to the stuff. He eventually gets to learning things, right? The, the understanding and the assurance comes after the love and encouragement, which together, the encouragement and community and love, knowing stuff leads to what? Assurance. Oh, we need assurance. It's such a big deal. In fact, many theologians would say if you look at our hardcore Westminster standards, they're actually documents about assurance primarily. If you look at a big swath of the whole Puritan movement in the 18th century, 17th, 18th century, it's really about 
assurance. Because if you're in church world and you are hearing the things of God over and over again, but you are not rooted in the gospel, you will have uncertainty, not assurance. You will constantly be wondering, have I done enough? Jesus offers us real rest from that. Unless false teachers or our own hearts have come and stolen that away from us and made the treasure of Jesus actually a burden instead. See, false teachers thrive on insecurity. They come and they look for any kind of void, any kind of lack in your life, and they went after assurance at Colossae. And so Paul's agony here is not that they would brush up on their apologetics. His agony is not that they would go to a Sunday school on assurance. His his agony is not that they would create a Bible study on encouragement. He struggles, he says, that they would love and encourage each other first. And then go to the Bible study on assurance, okay? Then go to the Sunday school class about encouragement. But love each other first. So as a community, you can stand firm in Christ and you can understand Understand what? The last phrase of the verse, God's mystery, which is Christ. Now, mystery is a huge buzzword in Colossae at this time and in Roman culture in general at this time. Basically, what's going on is the false teachers had come in and they claimed, we have the secret sauce. We have the mystery, what you really need to thrive in Christ. You want your best life now? Here is how you get it. It's beyond that simplistic gospel your pastor keeps going on about. I mean, seriously, faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, that's it? That's all you got to live out in this world? Are you kidding me? No, no. Here's the real deal. Here's how it works. And Paul counters, no, Christ is the mystery. The secret sauce on how to do life is Christ himself. In verse 3, he tells us what? And in Jesus are all wisdom and, and uh, knowledge. Right? He's the mystery. He has all the wisdom. He has all the knowledge. You don't need to get beyond Jesus. You need to get into Jesus more. It's so simple, but it's not simplistic. It's Jesus or nothing. I remember about a decade ago when I was in South Carolina, I was having a conversation with a fellow pastor in town, and we were jointly had ministered to this lady who was having some issues, and he was giving me an update on where she is, kind of going through what's going on in her life. And he paused, and he goes, well, you know what she needs, right? And before I could answer, he goes, she needs Jesus. And I remember I was struck in that moment because if he hadn't spoken first, I was about to say, she needs the gospel. Maybe I'm just a geek, but I was like, wait, why is he saying Jesus and I'm saying the gospel? Because they're very close, but then again, they're not the same thing, right? Like when we came in here this morning, we're like singing songs. We're not singing praise and adoration to a system. We're not singing praise and adoration to a system, right? <laughs> right, right. We're coming here to praise a person. You see, what had happened for me, this, I'm talking about Sean in that moment. I'm not talking about you. I was wrong. Christianity is not a system. Just like we come to worship a person anchored in Jesus, we experience the goodness of the gospel. So what this woman needed was Jesus. I, in my theological acumen, had tried to move beyond Jesus, offering her really good, tight theology instead of a person. 
It was a moment of realization and repentance for me that the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus. I like how Calvin puts it in his institutes, two different places. He says that God presents Christ to us wrapped in the gospel. Isn't that a great way to think about it? See, I was overly focused on the clothes instead of the person wearing them. Yeah, she needed Jesus just like Sean needs Jesus. You see, when we place our faith and trust in him, we get that wisdom. We get that knowledge. We get each other together and united together. We can mutually encourage and love each other towards better knowledge, better maturity, so we can have assurance. Then we can enjoy the gospel together because God's treasure is actually a burden when we lug it around instead of enjoying it. The next thing we see here is plausible deniability, starting in verses 4 and 5. Paul comes and says, hey, these guys want to delude you. It's the word for deception in other parts of the New Testament. In a culture like theirs that instead of streaming on screens for entertainment, went to public debates like a lot. Like their, deba- their debate was the Netflix of the day. This is a specific term that meant to lie, to use fake arguments in the debate to trick people. And Paul says, no, don't, don't, don't be deluded or tricked with fake arguments. Hey, boys and girls, I know you guys know how to argue really well, so let's look at your translation. Here's what I'm talking about. Let's look at verse 4 there at the bottom of page 10. Here's how it says for you. It says, there are tricky people who want to fool you and turn you away from Jesus. All right, so boys and girls, hopefully your parents have taught you about stranger danger, right? Be careful about strangers, but you know what's just as important sometimes? Tricky people. You need to watch out for tricky people. You know when sometimes you're talking to somebody and your gut just feels like, this isn't right. You need to recognize that. You need to believe that. Those are tricky people, and they're trying to hurt you, and that's what Paul is telling this church here. Watch out for tricky people. This is what Satan did in the garden. Satan didn't come and argue facts with Eve. Satan said what? Did God really say? He starts twisting reality. That's what the false teachers did. Verse 4, that phrase, plausible arguments, is actually a term from the debates of the day, which again, you and I are like, debates? Well, it was their Netflix, okay? This is what they watched for entertainment. And this technique was basically, here's how they defined it, trying to convince your opponent that what is false is true. Today, we would call it gaslighting, right? You did not experience the reality you know you did. It's actually an ancient debate technique. Who knew, right? I thought we just invented that like in the last five years. Paul says they're coming to you like Satan came in the garden, and instead of arguing facts, they're trying to twist reality. But it's so convincing. That's why it's plausible, right? It's compelling. It's reasonable, and we don't don't want to be closed-minded. And so we're susceptible to this. We really are, especially those of us who've been around church world a while because we are hardwired. Like our base firmware is set to law. We want to earn God's favor through works. We go back to that default setting in Adam. Do this and you shall live. And so we look and we're like, I don't do anything when I place my faith and trust in Christ. It doesn't feel right. I've got to put some skin in the game. So we don't actually say these words, but our actions are saying these words. Jesus wasn't enough. I've got to add in my suffering. His suffering was insufficient. 
His blood was not enough. I've got to add in some of my blood. His agony didn't cut it. I need to agonize over my sins so I feel forgiven because I haven't done anything. We're susceptible to that, aren't we? And false teachers love to jump in on that because we want the secret. Grace is too easy. We want to contribute, but Christianity counters by being very simple, very ancient, and very traditional. And we want spectacle and new and shiny, don't we? See, false teachers exploit that and they get us to doubt the gospel. They get us to look away from Christ alone. And so without the encouragement of the community from verses 1 and 2, we are open to the plausible arguments of the false teachers. That's why we need each other, not just for our maturity, but for our protection. So now is a really good time to remind you, we just finished our community group survey last week. Thank you for those of you who turned them in. We got a lot of them, more than I was expecting. More people voted in our things and vote in national elections. So, hey, all right, we did it. So now community groups are coming in October. Okay, we're going to have an open enrollment. And guess what? Christianity is not an individual activity. You will not mature as a Christian alone. You really need to be in a community group. If you take maturing in your faith seriously, you will want to be in a community group. And I'll let you finish out the rest of that thought. So, sign up for a community group. By the way, if you are interested in perhaps hosting occasionally a community group, or if you're interested in leading one, they are not the same thing, hence my arms are far apart, Hosting or leading, you don't have to be an officer to lead a community group. We would love to hear from you. Email me, call the church office. We would like to hear from you if you're interested in those things because community groups are coming. All right, so encouragement together protects us from the plausibility that the false teachers bring. And then Paul in verse 5, he then reminds them, hey, y'all really do need each other. I love how he uses a bit of reverse psychology there in verse 5. He goes, man, y'all are doing so great. Y'all have arrived. You're standing firm. You're in good order. He's basically doing what he, practicing what he preached in verse 1 and 2. He's encouraging them in Christ, even in their struggles. And notice what he does in their unity and their firmness in Christ. He's pointing to them in Christ. He's not pointing beyond Christ. Oh, dear Christian, always be careful of anyone who wants you to look beyond Christ. Well, yeah, you have that, but, have you, dude, but you know about this. I've talked about this before. I grew up in 1990s Christianity, and man, 1990s Christianity was all full of this thing called the victorious Christian life. There were like books everywhere, and it was like, basically it was like salvation 2.0, right? First, you, you got saved first, but then if you were really serious, you'd start to walk in victory, and you would have the victorious Christian life, and, and it was never defined, but you just didn't have it. I'll tell you that, and you need to buy another book to get it. And it's just the same ancient thing the false teachers do. No, you cannot have assurance in Christ. It's Christ plus something else. And it makes the gospel a burden, takes away the joy. Because when God's treasure is a burden, when we lug it around instead of enjoying it. 
And the final thing we see here is a walking reception in verses 6 and 7. So verse 6 and 7, okay, if you want to highlight something in your Bible, I highly recommend highlighting verse 6 and 7. This is the heart of the book of Colossians, and it's one of the best summaries in the New Testament of what walking in the gospel looks like. Look at me at verse 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. It's a simple summary of the whole gospel. As you received it, so walk in it. Contra the false teachers who are trying to get them to grow through some extra stuff. You are saved by grace. You will mature by grace. I love how Paul's succinct answer to the false teachers is not to engage in all these arguments. He just says, look at how beautiful Jesus is. There's a great application there for our personal evangelism. Don't raise your hands, and I haven't been following you around, but I'm going to take a guess at how most of you treat evangelism. I want to talk to my friend about Jesus. I really love them. What if they ask a question I can't answer? I better go study up on some apologetics. Okay, I'm re- no, what if they ask another question? I better go study about this. Well, I better go read this. Well, I'm not quite ready yet. I better go do this. I better ammo up. And you, you're lugging around like all these ammos, right? And you hadn't shot in years. Because <laughs> you're so afraid, right? Can I just tell you, like, I just said this two weeks ago to somebody. Like, when someone asks me a question, I don't know, I'll go, I don't know, never thought about it. And I'm a professional, okay? It's really, when I, when I was in Boston, all the time. Oh, so you're a Christian, so that means I have to be blah, 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 blah. And like I don't know anything about that, and I don't know any Christians who do. But I do know about Jesus. Because honestly, most of that stuff is just deflection. They are the Puritans would call it, they hear, they, they a Puritan would say, they hear the hound of heaven. And in fear, they've got to deflect this, this conviction about their sin and the gospel coming, and so they deflect. Now, there are absolutely legitimate questions and when they ask you a question that's legitimate it's still okay to say I don't know but I'll get back to you but you don't have to have all the answers right then that's what Paul doesn't try to have all the answers he just says look at how beautiful Jesus is and he has to do this because the false teachers are making plausible arguments it's being effective so Paul simply points to the beginning and basically goes, hey, um, how did you take Jesus to yourself in the first place? Was it a test? Did you pay a fee? Did you sacrifice a chicken? Did you feel guilty enough? No, you placed your faith and trust in Jesus. Grace got you in. He goes, okay. So how do you walk now that grace has got you in? Do you take a test? Do you pay a fee? Do you sacrifice a chicken? Do you feel more guilty all the time? No, it's by grace that you continue to place your faith and trust in Jesus, and he will mature you. Day to day, our sanctification curve looks like this. This is how we live it, right? But if you zoom out, you know what you see? You see a line doing this, because as You came to Christ, so you walk in Christ by grace through the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, let's bring it down to really succinct. Christian in the room, can you look in the mirror and can you honestly from your heart say, I don't have the resources to live the Christian life apart from grace? Because we can tell when you don't actually believe that. 
Because grace brings peace and humility in a life full of struggle and failure. Whereas a Christian who is fearful and candidly arrogant, very strict, is a Christian who believes they were brought in by grace, but who believes they grow by their own works and effort. And they're exhausted and they're bitter and they're mad at you because you're not. They have no assurance. They have no peace. Oh, if that's you, you can repent even now and once again place your faith and trust in Jesus to grow you. Now, do not hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying y'all should just be superficial Christians. That's not what I'm saying, okay? Verse 6 is the fuel that gets us to the substance of verse 7. Verse 7 is full of all sorts of substance. Of Paul uses a construction motive. He uses gardening images to say, hey, you've got this great foundation of knowledge and truth, and you're going to build on this knowledge and truth. So you're going to learn stuff. You're going to act on stuff. You're going to be changed. You're going to be different. But it's fueled by the grace of verse 6. In other words, growing in your faith, unlike every movie ever made, it seems like, and that like fabulous journey song, we don't just need to believe in believing, okay? We need substance to believe in, actual truth. There is substance there in verse 7 to believe in, but it's fueled by the grace of verse 6. And that makes the gospel a treasure you can enjoy instead of a burden to lug around. All right, let's wrap this up. I just want to ask a couple questions. Is Jesus your treasure? Or when you get right down to it, are you lugging him around? When you center yourself, when you, want, when you need your hope, when you need your security, what do you actually rest your heart on in those moments? Is it your morality? Is it your social status? just being a good person, if it's anything but Jesus Christ alone and being found in Him, you've been deluded by a plausible argument. Cast off everything you call Christianity then, because that's not it. Everything you think about when you hear the phrase religion, just get rid of that and place your simple faith and trust in Jesus Christ as He's offered in the gospel. And this resurrected Lord will get you in, he'll keep you in, and he'll grow you as you're in. And he'll give you joy. Let's pray together. How gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this challenge, especially for those of us in the room who are like me. And Father, I know better, but I constantly look to my own godliness, my own sanctification to judge how much you love me instead of looking to Christ alone. Lord, would you forgive me and would you help me to as I have received Christ Jesus to so walk in him? And would you help everybody else here in the room who's like that? Father, I pray today for those here who don't know you, who, who wouldn't call themselves Christians. Father, I pray that as Jesus Christ has been lifted up, shown to be crucified for our sin, raised for our new life, that you would be true to your promise to draw all people to him. 
So would you do your work even now of causing many to repent and believe your gospel? That truly your kingdom would come and your will would be done right here as it is in heaven. So that together we could all reach the riches of full assurance of understanding of the knowledge of your mystery, which is Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.